Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I'm musician and nerd James Woodard, stationed in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow musician Ali Jafar, all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today we're talking about Soma, a game that makes you feel things, and think things, and maybe talk about things that you have no business talking about because you can barely grasp the concept of the hard-hitting themes contained within, like what it means to be an authentic human being. Come stumble through this minefield of deep thematic elements with us as we inarticulately unpack and deep dive into the existentialist themes of Soma. Because we're both musicians, which means we both might be stupid. But hey, maybe that's what the title means. You do not know, and there's only one way for you, the listener, to find out. So, we had a fucking blizzard last night, so everything is just melting snow and water, and, like, all the sidewalks are, like, lakes. Like, you can't walk on them. It's so fucked up. (laughs) We got really high and tried to walk to the Mexican grocery store to get shit to make nachos, and we ended up, it was, like, this whole fucking ordeal. It was fucking crazy. Man, man, I'm worried about the humidity. It's hot as fuck here. We have the AC going. Crazy. Monica, they have the fucking AC on. Yeah, I was getting like legit like under titty sweat like at my desk earlier. <laughs> James said he was getting legit under titty sweat at his desk earlier. <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, uh, Soma. Speaking of inhospitable conditions. <laughs> okay, so today we are talking about Soma. Yeah, I mean, uh, since this is your favorite game, there's going to be a lot of you talking today. <laughs> I'm going to try and not talk as much. That's actually yeah. my my resolution. Really? Wow, okay. Yeah, I don't know. So it's up to me. So you came at this idea with this anti-game approach, and I want to know what you mean by that. Okay, well, so last episode we were talking about hide ups uh, which is a genre term that I think I coined. Uh, which are basically games that are mostly conventional horror games that have the combat element removed uh, and have like some sort of stealth element added in in its stead. Now, this you know covers a, a wide variety of games, like a lot of indie stuff, and mostly we were talking about Outlast, Outlast 2, Alien Isolation, and we talked a little bit about a company called Frictional Games. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Frictional Games uh, created Amnesia, which was probably like the biggest game in the hide 'em up style. They also um, created Penumbra, which, um, you know, sort of kickstarted this whole movement. And later, the most recent game they made, which came out in 2015, was Soma. So, Soma is seemingly a similar type of game as the other games we discussed mm-hmm. in the hide 'em ups episode. Like, it's an exploration-based horror game. There's no combat. You have to stealth around the game's enemies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, I think that Soma is just a lot more extreme of an experience, like hmm. pretty much in every regard. You know, one thing that does stick out to me in terms of at least the hiding and antagonist mechanic is that there's only like five or six monsters in this game. Right. And they're limited in scope to certain areas and they have different weaknesses and traits. Um, So it's not really like an outlast. There's like random grunt number three 
chasing right. you down a hallway. Right. Um, so there are bad guys, but they're purposeful, even in almost like a storyline way. Right. Well, and we were talking about last time with hide em ups. I mean, one of the things that they all seem to do is to take game mechanics and just streamline them. Um, so that even if there are items in inventory, like you don't have to manage them. You don't have to inspect items. You don't have to solve puzzles in the traditional way. Everything yeah. just sort of happens like oh, it's almost like in camera, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, and it feels like that's because there's such a premium put on immersion uh, and they don't want to break the immersion. Well, and another difference is that there's a huge emphasis on story here and so right. versus outlast or alien where you could basically just ignore the entire story exactly but the the thing about soma is that i felt like it takes that streamlining to its logical conclusion so there is no inventory there are no items and Mm -hmm. there are no like random enemies every enemy is a set piece that Mm -hmm. inhabits a specific area and there's a specific way to get around the enemy that you have to figure out and the game tells you or gives you clues for the most part so when you play it you're immediately like thrust into this world that feels even more immersive than all the other games we talked about and even less video gamey uh than those games um and that's why i started to think of this as like the ultimate anti-game uh and i think that in general the horror genre a lot of them are at the root of them anti-games in the sense that they do everything backwards. Like they disempower the player instead of over empowering the player. And well, they put an emphasis on atmosphere instead of like just telling you where to go and sort of things like that. I I am going to challenge you a little bit on the streamlining point that you brought up though, because there was a mod to remove the combat from the game or at least the dying. Mm hmm. And the developer went ahead and put the mod into the game as an official part of the game. And so when you start the game up, you can choose whether to turn dying on or off. And essentially that removes a big part of the game. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the developers know that that part of the game is extraneous in a way. But they didn't like completely commit to it. It's an interesting choice that they did. Uh, I'm glad they did. And I think if I replayed the game, I would put it on easy mode. But yeah, this, it's an interesting choice. And it's almost like they didn't commit to the fighting and death mechanics. Oh, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that is true. And that's one of the frustrations with, with the game. But I, I still think it kind of it's kind of just like feeds into my point. I guess like maybe saying Soma is a logical conclusion isn't true. But uh, like, well, you have strong feelings about it. So, yeah, I mean, I guess like that's why I can understand your bias. Yeah, I just started to feel that way just due to and even like the the mod to take the combat out. Once again, it was just like, oh, yeah, like this could have been the game. And that is Mm -hmm. interesting. But it does have I mean, we'll talk about it. Um, It does have gamey moments and it has frustrating moments. Um, Right. And like a lot of the games we talk about that are like this, there are certain moments where it's like, why is this even in here? Like if this right. was how you're going to handle it, why is this even in here? Well, this game's not particularly a walking simulator, but it, it has a, a big scoop full of walking simulator in it. Oh yeah. And sometimes I wonder if it would have been better as a walking simulator. I don't think the fear would have been there as much. Right. But I'm not sure if that was its strongest suit, to be honest. Yeah, I think that this does have that feeling of being stuck between stations a little bit like a lot of 
you know, we're any work of art of this type where, you know, an artist or a group of artists is sort of like in between two places, uh, like this sort of stuck between the classic design of amnesia and penumbra and something totally different, you know, which could be something new that they're working on or, you know, something like a pure walking simulator, like gone home, you know? Right. Um, and it, this game does feel a little bit caught between that. I mean, but the thing too is that I think that they know that their strength is making horror games and they know at least from a marketing standpoint and like appeasing their fan base standpoint that yeah, making horror games is, is a more effective way to get people to actually play them. So I think that's right. a big part of where the horror element is this game. Cause it's also like as a sort of shock horror game or it, it doesn't really succeed, but well, as an existential it, horror game, it's amazing. <laughs> Right. And, and it might sound like I'm being negative to it at this point on the surface, but we're at this point of like the critique, we're just talking about its formal qualities. We're not getting into like theme. Oh, or yeah, totally. Anything. So I feel like once we get into that part of the critique, the conversation gets a lot more interesting. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I, I do agree with you. And I definitely there were some moments of frustration and moments of like, <laughs> why is this even here? You know? Yeah. Well, so maybe we should just talk about what it is. Basically, <laughs> it is a game, the premise of which is that you are someone who goes to have uh, like a brain scan done. Right. Uh, the protagonist. I don't remember his name. I guess it doesn't matter because he's kind of a blank slate. <laughs> yeah. His, his name's Simon, but yeah. Simon, that's right. Yeah. Simon, uh, he's in a really bad car wreck, kills his girlfriend, and they don't really know what's wrong with him. Mm -hmm. So as sort of a um, last ditch effort to get help, he goes and gets a brain scan by this guy. That's not really a doctor yet, but he's going to be a doctor in like some closet in the back room of a doctor's office. He goes to like a super sketchy place and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. He, and he gets this, he gets this backdoor brain scan done. (laughs) And the next thing he knows, he wakes up and he's in this futuristic decayed out waterlogged underwater base. Yep. Um, and that's the premise of the game. And he's basically just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Um, well, the first thing you have to figure out is how to get out of that room because yeah. that took me way too fucking long to figure out Yeah, that you're just supposed to break the window. Uh, I think the first time I played that game it probably took me 10 minutes to figure out the first puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit brutal, but Yeah. And well, I should just say here that I think that we're totally going to like spoil everything interesting about this game. I think that's the best way to talk about this game. So, I mean, just play it. It's short. But I'll also say this is that I actually knew the ending of the game before the first time I played it. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm kind of glad I went into it blind. Uh, And I mean, I just started it last week. So, yeah, here's some pretense. I started this game like at least four times and never got an hour into it. And then the fifth time I played all the way through finally. Right. And I I think that for me, I may have had a similar experience, except that I knew where the story was going to go. And I thought it was so fascinating that I just had (laughs) to see how it got there and see all the details. So I think the best way to play this game is probably blind. But if you are just curious and want to know if you should check it out, I mean, I don't think spoilers ruin it. It's such a rich story and such a weird, cool experience that I think knowing where it goes isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and I mean, you can get it for a couple bucks. Just play it. Yeah. It's on It's on GOG. 
Yeah. Yep. That's where I got it. Get it DR room free. Yeah. Like a good pirate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but yeah, so pretty quickly the game sort of reveals some of its main themes by introducing a recurring site, which is this sort of mechanical, like robotic power loader type thing that mm-hmm. has a human consciousness and speaks in a voice and right. thinks it's a human. So first impressions, I thought that was like a really 90s adventure came kind of thing. And oh, I didn't cool. really find it to be creepy. I thought it should just be like quirky, like beneath a steel sky kind of thing going on. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. But like it, it's interesting because like really quickly you you sort of get the picture of where you are, which is that it's a sprawling underground lab that has multiple buildings that are all connected mm-hmm. either via like tunnels or railways. Um, and littered throughout the station are these mechanical beings that seem to have like human consciousness and speak in human voices. And they're like, a lot of them are buggy and weird, but mm-hmm. they're still like recognizably human so a lot of them don't know that they're robots yet right they don't have that perception of themselves right and even early on like that first power loader thing you meet like you basically have to torture it to get to the next room and it screams a lot (laughs) which is like really fucking unsettling um there you do a lot of off-putting things in this game yeah, so that's actually what's what one of the things in my notes, like the thing immediately that st- stood out to me with this game um, is that it it's definitely a commentary on games like and it definitely sure. like it flips a normal game mechanic into something really horrifying. So it's like there's no combat in this game, but you kill a lot of shit. I mean, how many people do you shoot in like the average video game? Yeah. And like, have you ever seen like a real gunshot victim? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not cool. So I guess Soma tries to sort of personalize those experiences and give them emotional weight. Right. So it's like it makes each time that you have to kill something uh, a choice with weight and meaning, although the meaning is sort of up to you to decide. Like run. I sometimes think about like when I first played this game, I thought it was like, oh my God, this is aimed directly at me <laughs> because I remember I got, uh, oh, so I remember when perfect dark came out. Um, I like pre-ordered that fucking game and I got it the day it came out and I was like super excited. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like going to be the best game ever. And I then, remember. oh yeah, <laughs> you remember. <laughs> and like, uh, I took it home and I popped it in and it was in like the second level. Like I shot a dude, but I shot him in like the leg or something. <laughs> and he like didn't die, obviously, because I like shot him in the leg. But yeah. unlike Goldeneye, where he would have just fallen over and gone like, Ugh, and then just died. Like yeah. he laid on the ground and he was like, like making some sort of noise. Like he was just going like, Ugh, uh, or like something like he was suffering. And I was like, so fucking traumatized. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, what the fuck is this? Like, what is going on? And I actually just like turned it off and I didn't play (laughs) the single. I played the multiplayer with my friends because there wasn't anything like that in it. But I didn't play a single player again for like years. (laughs) 
<laughs> he had a family. Yeah. It was just like suddenly this little detail made you realize that it's like, oh my God, like I'm a wow. mass murderer. And then I thought back yeah. to Goldeneye, like some of those, the Russian like base levels, you kill like uh-huh. hundreds of dudes. Scientists, innocent scientists. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm like a war criminal. And it was so funny because that <laughs> that first interaction in Soma put me right back there. And I was just like a scared 11 yeah. year old or whatever. And I was like, no. And Soma does it over and over again. Yep. It doesn't let up and they all get worse and worse as the game goes on. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the the way that they set the scene in the game. Um, we I mentioned this to you uh, when we recorded last that like. Uh, I love the opening of this game because Mm -hmm. it starts out being very unexpected because you know it's a game. If you know anything about the game, you know it's set in the far future underwater base. You assume that you just wake up there, but you actually start in the modern day. You live like a day of this guy's life, basically. Well, so here's the thing. I didn't really know it was an underwater base. Oh, okay. So the reveal when 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 very early in the game where the the a dome collapses in and you're surrounded with water. Yeah. That was actually a reveal for me. Oh, crazy. I did not know. So I was like, wow, we're underwater. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, the way I played this was just so weird and bizarre. I'm, I'm interested. This, I wonder what it would have been like if I hadn't known all this shit. But well, it's ambiguous on purpose. Like, oh, yeah. what is this? A moon base, like an underground cave thing, some like fucked up hospital. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I and it's I love that early section because it lulls you into this false sense of like, you know what the setting is going to be and what the tone of the game is going to be. Um, right. Cause you're just like, this dude is so boring. Like he just has his crappy little apartment and he like works at a comic shop and like, <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he, it's just he like, it's like random nosebleeds. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly you're just like, Whoa, okay. Everything's yeah. different. But He's got a lot of problems and a lot of the themes in this game have to do with like mental and physical health, trauma. Mm-hmm. And the name of the underground base is pathos too. And pathos, I mean, it means like something that evokes like sadness or pity. The psychological undertones or underpinnings are pretty overt from the beginning. It's, it's interesting because there's all these little details kind of hidden in the opening sequence or like, things that you're supposed to pay attention to. Um, and one of the big ones is, is just the, like the basic idea of your perception. So like when you're playing this, the opening sequence where he's in the modern day, you can see that, like you can see just from his like arms and his hands and whatever, that he's like a human person and you just assume that he's a human. And (laughs) when it flashes forward, you assume the same thing, but then yeah. there's like these certain sections where it's just like, wait, why would he just still be like not wearing a diving suit or something? Or like, what is going on? Like right. it, it sets this scene and it, and it sort of messes with your perception. Um, it's really one of the best uses of first person I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. Like what a reveal you don't show what the protagonist looks like. Yeah. And, and it just draws attention over and we'll talk about it. Obviously there's a big reveal in the middle of the game, but it draws a lot of attention to the body. You know, the name of the game is fucking Soma, but still it's like using the first person perspective to literally put you in this person's body and make you right. th- think about what that means. Um, yeah. 
I've never felt so much like the little dude from Men in Black who like rides around in the guy's head as as I did when I played this game. <laughs> so that's kind of the opening of the game. Um, and pretty quickly you meet uh, once you're in the base, you pretty quickly meet uh, your companion throughout the game who is this scientist named Catherine. And she's sort of your Gladys to carry <laughs> you around in your multi-tool. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, early on, you think that she's a person who's contacting you from somewhere else. And then once you actually get to her, yeah, you realize that she's actually just a consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's just in a microchip. And yeah, you can kind of plug her into whatever. But for the most part, you keep her in your like PDA. In a very Philip K. Dick way, you download her consciousness to your personal digital assistant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And carry her around with you. Right. And by this point, too, you also sort of figure out what's going on, or at least in terms of you understand that there's all these backed up human consciousnesses that are like all sort of gone awry. And some you find out that there's been an extinction level event while you've been gone Mm -hmm. and all of humanity is wiped out. Right. And so. Because of that, the last remaining humans start working on this ARC project where they can upload their, essentially their souls or consciousnesses to an ARC and shoot that into space uh, out of a space gun, <laughs> which is the coolest shit I've ever heard of. Right. Yes. And you- <laughs> <laughs> That's a, like saying, saying all of those things out loud just made me feel like Philip K. Dick. yeah no exactly and it's it's interesting because there so there's a there's like a plot of the game that's happening as you play the game and also there's this parallel plot that happened all right some of it right before you showed up um right like it goes up until right before you showed up at the base and it is basically telling the tale of this underground, you know, science research facility that sort of went through this whole crazy, uh, like civil war kind of between the people working there during Mm -hmm. this extinction level event, because they were some of the last people, maybe the last people left alive on earth. Right. Um, and you know, some of them wanted, one of them started the project to create this arc that archives all their consciousnesses and sends it out in the space. And then some people wanted to be a part of it. A bunch of people didn't. And then something else came in, which is the wow. Well, uh, another thing that happened is that some people were so enthusiastic about the arc project that after copying their consciousnesses onto the arc, they decided to kill themselves en masse. Yeah. And so you there become these almost like two or three factions. Like there's mm-hmm. the people who who do that. <laughs> there's the people who just <laughs> want to be a part of that project but don't aren't going to kill themselves. There's right. the people who are super against it. And then there's the people who are super against it because like at the same time that all this is happening, basically this like sentient ooze uh <laughs> called called the wow starts invading the whole <laughs> base and because it like gets into the computer systems it sort of like incorporates part of this plan into its own plan and right. it's but it's all just this sort of like weird like mix of ai and human instinct so mm-hmm. its plan is to basically just take 
human consciousnesses and just machine gun fire them out into whatever, which is why there's uh, robot power loaders and maintenance robots and uh, so fucking whatever. Protect humanity at all costs through like the weirdest means possible. Yeah. And it's also created a bunch of mutants that are hybrids of all three of those things. Mm -hmm. You know? So r- remind me where the structure gel comes from. I don't remember how if it was invented or discovered. Structure gel was invented. So throughout the, the game, they talk about the stuff called structure gel. Um, and it's basically like this really uh, futuristic building material. Mm-hmm. Like you can just put it on anything and it bonds and creates a bond. Um, so it's almost like a, like hella fucking futuristic rubber cement. Right. <laughs> and like, but because of the wow AI, the structure gel kind of becomes like a liquid cancery thing. That right. Starts taking over everything mechanical or living. Yeah. So the, the wow, which is basically becomes this, this AI that becomes corrupted by like an outside force, mm-hmm. um, this sort of animal, almost like alien force. Um, the wow corrupts all the structure gel. So anything that has structure gel or that becomes infused with it sort of becomes part of this AI hive mind. Yeah, right. So that's why there are monsters that are right. all goopy and covered in uh, structure gel is like <laughs> this black goop. Um, yeah. That's like all the main antagonists of the game are covered in that black goop with all mm-hmm. these like nodes on it because it's corrupted structure gel. Which I th- I think is really evocative of the LCL from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, yeah. Where, totally. you know, spoiler alert, go watch Evangelion. Uh, there's like a, a human singularity event where everybody on the planet turns into sunny delight. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they animate that shit in the movie. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most like what the fuck scenes ever. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, no, it, it totally is. And also, if you want more background, I don't know if you've found this or have seen this, but they did like uh, a little short movie um, that's up. I on was like, reading about that today. Yeah, it's just up on YouTube in a few different parts, maybe like eight or nine parts. Um, is it cool? It is cool. It's really cool. Um, and they basically made a prequel to the game where they show at least a few of the human characters when they're still alive. That's cool. Yeah. And it, a lot of it is centered around like structure gel. Like there's a guy who becomes addicted to structure gel and <laughs> like goes nuts and you see all this stuff happen and you see some of the events that are talked about in the game actually played out and it's super cool. Um, hmm. Is it like super low budget? It's not as low budget as you're thinking. <laughs> Let me say it that. Might- it might be super cool as low budget. It's like kind of low budget, but looks like the satellite of love. <laughs> that would be cool. But <laughs> no, it's actually, it's, it's surprisingly slick. And uh, I think nice. the actors do a good job. I mean, they're obviously not like, you know, Hollywood actors, but they do a really good job. And I remember watching it after you play the game is super cool, especially like right mm. after you play the game. That's when I watched it. Um, yeah. And well, because one of the, tiny scenes from it was actually used as like a uh, a teaser for the game um and it's a super cool scene it's basically like one of the scientists trying to talk to one of the wow structure gel infected robots um mm-hmm. 
And so they use that as a teaser for the game. And that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But then when you watch the whole thing after you've played the game, you can actually kind of see everything. And it kind of gives you the other side of the story, which is, you mm-hmm. know, actually showing you what was going on when the people were alive. So, okay. Well, I think we're at the point where we can do more spoilers. I'd say like halfway in the game or maybe a little closer to two thirds. Mm-hmm. It's revealed that you're in somebody else's body. Yeah. You're, you're like a dead Asian woman with half her head cut off <laughs> Yeah, in a diving suit. And you've been fused together with the diving suit and your consciousness is downloaded into this woman's body. Right. Which so- I, I feel like the protagonist is like, strangely kind of cool with <laughs> he didn't really seem to overreact or anything about being in uh well essentially like a walking corpse i'm gonna say this that he kind of handles it well because he has a bigger problem to deal with which is that he has to kill himself <laughs> so <laughs> the way this is revealed to you is halfway through the game you have to go to a deeper level of the base where the pressure mm-hmm. the atmospheric pressure would be greater so mm-hmm. uh you need to be in a diving suit that can handle that. Right. Um, And so basically, you know, Catherine is kind of being cryptic about this, like, okay, well I'm going to, you know, transfer you into this other diving suit. Well, this is, yeah, he kind of finds out that it's like, you're just a consciousness. I'm going to transfer your body. And he's kind of like, Oh, what, um, what the fuck yeah and you're right yeah, he so is, he's he, been dead for like a hundred years yeah and his consciousness was uploaded somehow to this body yeah the wow picked it out of the lineup and just shot it into a diving suit right um, and so they basically recreate the conditions under which he was born which is that they find a diving suit with most of a body and then they right. dump some structure gel and they're like okay we're gonna transfer you and he's like okay, I guess like we're going to do this, which I kind of get. Right. But then after that happens, they reveal the whole coin flip conundrum, Mm -hmm. um, which is essentially in this game's version of the technology of transferring consciousnesses. there's There's a coin flip. When you transfer it, it now exists in two bodies and which perspective you are experiencing. It's a coin flip, whether you're going to be the one left behind or the new one you created. It's not a drag and drop. It's a copy paste delete. Right. So during that transfer, your previous body is in the other room while your, your new body is in this high pressure diving suit that can go deeper. Right. And one of the many moral conundrums that the game puts you in is do you keep the original cop or the, the other copy of you or do you do you essentially euthanize it? And you're the only one. Right. But that also makes you wonder if, you know, he's not the authentic version of himself anyways. So what is authentic? And uh, that's a reoccurring theme in the game. Right. And it is actually a choice you can make that doesn't have any effect on the story. Right. Well, there are a lot of choices in the game that you can make that don't have effect on the story, which is interesting because even, even two times during the game, the game gives you a survey about how you feel about things. Oh yeah. It, that's right. it doesn't affect anything. Yeah. But it's really interesting because, you know, during these two parts of the, the storyline, you'll answer the same questions very different ways. Oh yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things I love about this game is that 
And another reason that it struck me as such a like anti-game is that it takes these things that you would see in other games, like these big plot twists or the idea of like a survey or the idea of a choice you would make. And instead of having it like impact the story, it's made to impact the player. Right. Um, Yeah. And this is actually interesting because I recently was uh, watching this uh, GDC talk from Yoko Taro, Mm -hmm. uh, who's a a writer. He's like a game scenario writer. He wrote near near automata. And yeah, so, I, I, there are a lot of similar themes here. Yeah, to with near uh, automata. Yeah, automata. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just say whatever. Keep it simple, Japan. Yeah. Uh, no. It, yeah. And his his way of writing is interesting. He's he basically says the the moment to moment story beats in my game make no sense in my games make no sense and don't matter. What matters is how the player feels and how I make the player feel. Um, I've always thought that was interesting because to me, it's like when you look at video games as a medium, you're sort of thinking about what is actually happening here. You know, well, there is a big plot versus theme going on thing that, you know, literature does really well. And I think video games do well too. Well, for sure. But I think that the reason that like near automata and this game are so, successful at that is that they lean into what games do which is games manipulate interaction right so and ultimately you manipulate the player you know it's like with music Mm -hmm. you're manipulating sound with film or visual art maybe it's like you're manipulating uh you know light you're manipulating you know time certain other things with video games it's like the it takes elements of all those other art forms but the thing that it does uniquely is that it manipulates interaction Mm -hmm. and so writing something with the goal being we're just going to make the player feel a certain way or we're going to manipulate the player in a certain way is right. not only brilliant, it's kind of like the ultimate thing to do as a video game. And I, this game, I mean, this game <laughs> fucked me the fuck up. So like, the, the way in, in near goth lowly girlfriend simulator, uh, <laughs> she just cuts down swaths of these goofy robots uh-huh. and it has very little impact until a certain point in the game. Right. I, I feel like every time you kill something or make a decision in Soma, there's a huge emotional impact there. Right. And it's like amplified. Yeah, it's super amplified and it just gets worse and worse as the game goes on. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one one thing that I did want to talk about is like the ethics of like preserving humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you meet several people that are basically on death's door. Right. <laughs> this one, the, the goofy thing I fucked up on. Uh, you're crawling through a tunnel at one point and you find a, a woman like plugged into machines and she's like almost dead. Yeah, she's kind of half I, human at that point. Yeah, I guess you're supposed to talk to her and get some information. But I was like, oh, no, these plugs are hurting her. So I unplugged her and she died immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. But, but that's what, like... That's what I love about this game is that it's it's really linear, but the moments where you have control or can make choices, uh-huh. they only matter to you. Right. You know, right. it's not like, oh, I had this experience or I missed this experience. Like you didn't I mean you didn't miss anything hugely by not having that dialogue, but right. you 
missed out in the sense that you probably felt some sort of regret over that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how I kept feeling throughout this whole game. They're in the situation where they want to preserve humanity and their solution is basically to end humanity and make digital copies. Right. And the authenticity of like being the original copy or like the human soul. I mean, does that, does that matter? Is being a digital copy a copy of a copy in certain points. Like I think that's the big crux of this story. Oh yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, that well, so fundamentally this is existentialism, the horror game, right? Uh, which I fucking love because existentialism, ugh, man, that's hard to say. Existentialism <laughs> is kind of the only philosophy that I give a shit about. Um, <laughs> I think it's the only philosophy that actually addresses people's day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately uh, because I and everyone else who is at my job is like super depressed and (laughs) we're just like having a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's Um, everywhere. Yeah. But we've, it's been to the level where we're all just like talking about like, why do we exist? <laughs> like, yeah, why does, sure. why does religion exist and blah, 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 and all stuff. And I think, why don't I just go live in the woods and say no to all of this? Exactly. And throw my hands up. One thing that's interesting is that, you know, a conversation I had that I thought was really good was one where we kind of hit that point of like, well, the reason that all of these different ideas exist or a lot of human behavior exists is because essentially people are just overgrown animals. So they have self-awareness and they know that if they can't just live like an animal, because at some point they'll have to like reckon with what they're doing because they're self-aware. I think that existentialism is the one philosophy that actually like looks at that question. And it's like, why do you exist? What is the purpose? And there isn't an answer, but I think that some of those philosophers actually have like pretty good, pretty compact, easy to understand ideas like for example Mm -hmm. the essential self you know right which is like a super huge theme in this game which comes from kierkegaard and uh you know basically the idea of that if you want to find meaning in the world it's self-driven and that Mm. in order to find that meaning you have to sort of locate and understand what is your authentic self like what is your essence Mm -hmm. um and those ideas are not very hard to grasp. They're not very heady either. It's just sort of the idea that you'll actually like sit down and and think about it. Um, Sure. But it it could also be applied in like a macrocosm versus microcosm thing. Cause here, like the only way for the human species to propagate is to take that leap, you know, into space, not just in the game, but even in real life. I mean, we're going to get to a point where the bell curve is going to either destroy humanity or we're going to leave the planet and start, you know, exploring the stars, you know, however long that might take. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, where where do we draw the line between human? You know, we have all these, you know, worldly problems now, like nationalism and, you know, Christianity versus Islam and all these like bullshit things. And like, is that ever going to matter in the slightest when, you know, our humanity is like among the stars? Right, exactly. And I love that somebody made a fucking video game that <laughs> grapples with <laughs> those ideas. I mean, right. and actually right. makes you think about those ideas in a constructive way. I right. think that's so cool. And I, I really can't think of a better like story metaphor than 
the one that's in this game for that idea or that struggle. Yeah, because not only did they shed all their like earthly bullshit, they shed their mortal human bodies also. Right. So it's almost like the purest humanity, but at the same time, it's just like a digital copy. Right. Um, very interesting, like duality. Yeah, for sure. And it's also interesting that, like I said, that's sort of the plot that's going on as you play the game. But mm -hmm. the sort of a parallel plot that happened before you got there is just all about people being their normal, terrible selves. Like right. just all this infighting and people yeah. killing each other and people fucking each other over because the whole base right. is dead by the time you get there. Mm -hmm. Everybody but one person is dead. Right. And you're you're like a rotting meat sack walking around euthanizing humans. But at the same time, you're the one saving the future of the species. <laughs> exactly. And it's 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 absurd, which is also a big a tenet of existential philosophy is the mm -hmm. sort of fight for meaning uh, set against the backdrop of the absurd. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, that's once again, that's a big like Kierkegaard thing. That's a big Sar uh -huh. Sartre thing is like the absurd, you know? I mean, you can't have science fiction without absurdity. Exactly. And I think that's like why this game hits so hard is that like it embodies that type of philosophy. And mm -hmm. and it really, really like once it, like I said, I think it's just like the perfect maybe not me like not metaphor, but it's almost just like an allegory right. for all of these different you know elements of existentialist philosophy. Well, it, it, it does start with a quote from Philip K. Dick, too, which is he's a old school Christian Gnostic. He's basically, he basically, he's one of the like Lord of the Rings Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I urge anybody to go read, uh, his essay that the quote is taken from. It's called how to build a universe that doesn't fall apart two days later. Right. And you sent that to me and mm -hmm. it's great. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, a lot of the themes in this game and that essay, uh, run parallel the themes of time uh, mm -hmm. time doesn't matter to these consciousnesses right when he turns off his PDA her consciousness kind of just goes away she talks about how weird it feels and yeah. how there's no simplest of time when she's not turned on which is super fucking Philip K. Dick like I can't think of anything more PKD and he loses over a hundred years um, Philip K. Dick has this theory uh, I'm not going to get like super into theology because I'm like a mid 30s white guy no one wants to listen to me <laughs> but the pkd he's like such a weird gnostic that he thinks you know in the year zero that uh when christ died satan took over and time has stopped and in 1978 was basically like 50 ad um and our life is an illusion that satan created and we're all living in this illusion when really like our spirits are in paradise right well, and I, I think that it, this essay really immediately was made me relate it to this game when you sent it to me, because yeah. for, like I said, when I was looking at existential philosophy, thinking about ideas like the authentic self and, you know, what is a human essence, just in the third paragraph, he says the two basic topics which fascinate me are what is reality and what constitutes the authentic human being. Yeah. And his definition of reality is what the quote is in the game which is reality is that which when you stop believing it doesn't go away. Right. And so he sort of is, 
he posits that, that those are the questions that science fiction can maybe answer or that the people who make science fiction can like strive to answer. Right. You know? And I think that's so interesting because then you jump to this game and it's like, wow, holy shit, that's exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. Well, and I mean, 40 years later, theoretical physicists are talking about different layers of reality. Oh, yeah. And I, uh, I mean, science has always kind of followed science fiction in a strange way. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke sort of invented the satellite before anything was ever shot in space. Hopefully Soma doesn't invent anything because <laughs> fuck we're fucked. If I even see anything that kind of looks like structure gel, I'm running, dude. Like, <laughs> dude, singularity would be fucked up because, like, yeah. I've thought horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want this brain in that milieu, motherfucker. This is not good. <laughs> Hashtag not my singularity. <laughs> oh, I would love it if all like the whites only people would go to a whites only singularity. <laughs> Farmers only singularity. <laughs> There's like a small niche, like black Israelite singularity. Oh yeah, man. Those guys have a public access show where I live. There's... Oh shit. Yeah, Is man. it good? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're me. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that shit on the regs, TBH. Oh yeah, we used to. Back when I lived with my brother-in-law and we'd watch a lot of trash uh, public access. <laughs> we had that show and then we had uh, Viva and Jerry who... Uh, R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. Jerry. Uh, <laughs> Viva and Jerry were two just old people who played country music and had a weird talk show. And Nice. Uh, Jerry was really sweet. He used to come to the guitar store that I worked at, and uh, he'd just buy strings, but then he'd just walk around the store with you. He'd be like, what, yeah. what's that thing? I'm like, oh, it's an yeah. amp. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, look at this thing. He was great. <laughs> I cherish my years working at the guitar store, meeting all the local weirdos, <laughs> the pseudo celebrities that everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I feel that way too, but then, uh, other shit happens. Like I was there two days ago and a guy with a crazy limp pulled a taser on me. That was kind of weird. Oh man. This dude that used, he used to come in, he was schizophrenic. He was in his forties and his name was Mark. Okay. And he would walk in and he'd grab the pointiest guitar we have. And he'd be like, I'm Satan and you're the devil. And I'm going to do your bidding. And he's, he, he would go like sit down and play guitar all loud and fucked up. And he would like leave and go smoke crack and come back. <laughs> we would have to call his mom, which was like an 80 year old woman. Oh and she God. would drive down in her like giant Crown Victoria. Holy and he would buy like two guitars and leave with his mom. And this would happen once every six months. Holy shit. Just fucked up on speed or something. We had a guy almost exactly like that named Clyde uh, who would come in like once a month and just, yeah, be Clyde. Yeah, he'd always leave cans of Coke and still lit swishers behind the amps. <laughs> so like, you'd be like, man, it smells like a fucking like swisher in here. Like, why does it smell like a fucking swisher? And be like, oh yeah, Clyde like dropped one behind that like hand-wired box. Oh, just Clyde. Cool, man. It's Clyde being Clyde, baby. Uh, anyway. Where were we? I have no idea. Jesus. Well, that's a break where some fake Silent Hill music will play.
Dude, I've made so much fake Silent Hill music in the last few weeks that uh, that's awesome. I actually found some that I forgot about. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's that's like a new genre. It can be like Silent Hill Wave or something. Yamaoka Core. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I I coined that. Oh, that that's the dude. Yeah, Akira Yamaoka. I get it now. I love it. Just do everything in kanji. <laughs> Make it look like it's uh, on a VHS tape. Oh, yeah, dude. Wave. So wavy. I um, want you to VHS me some of those black Israelite made-for-TV. I know. Dude, that sounds so awesome. Those guys are rad. I wish I would have recorded some. It was so... It was, like, so out of pocket. They were... <laughs> I mean, it's it's basically the equivalent of, like, talk radio. Just, like, conservative hate trash, you know? Yeah. I just want to see it from a different perspective, you know? (laughs) Well, these guys were just crazy, because, like... Okay, so, like, if you were a Muslim kid in the 90s, and Uh you grew up in an area with, like, that was, like, predominantly black, like I did when I lived in Cincinnati, um, Mm -hmm. you were exposed to, like, a lot of black culture that was taking parts of Arab and Muslim culture. And so, Mm -hmm. like, even just listening to rap music and hearing, like, five percenter talk, like, it would be, like... Why are these guys using like like Arabic like Muslim terminology? Like it was what really, does that mean? Oh, five percenter. Yeah. Oh, five uh, percenter was like this sort of. It wasn't really a religion, but it was kind of like a way of thinking that was super popular um, among like '90s hip hop dudes. Um, it basically takes it. the The name comes from the idea that they take like five percent from like everything, um, like all these different religious ideas. But a, hmm. a big thing that they like to do is like backronyms and stuff like that. It's very, very heavily connected and highly similar to the Nation of Islam. Um, Interesting. And like Nation of Islam is basically like a, a little bit of Islam and then like a bunch of like like pro-black thought and then like a mm-hmm. bunch of other weird like mysticism ideas. Mm-hmm. So like definitely some Gnostic shit in there. Definitely some like Kabbalistic shit in there, you know? And the five percenter was kind of like the pop version of that movement. And (laughs) they love backronyms just like the Nation of Islam does. And like, there's all this weird stuff in there. So like, okay, for example, like if you're listening to um, the Wu-Tang, Enter the 36 Chambers, right? Mm -hmm. That is like the most five percenter out fucking record ever. (laughs) And if you don't know what they're doing, you won't even catch it. Yeah, I think that's dog whistle five percenterism because I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So here's a couple examples. One example is that they they refer to men as gods and women as earths, and so when you hear them talk about like the gods, like they're talking about like the dudes, or like if you hear them talk about like the earths, they're talking about like women. Uh, another thing is that they they repeatedly make reference to arm, leg, leg, arm, head, which is like a backronym for Allah, oh. which is mm-hmm. you know the Arabic word for God, and like in their like uh, mystic like methodology, basically man is God, so man is Allah, and the backronym for it is arm, leg, leg, arm, head, the form of a man. I love this. <laughs> I love that I didn't know any of this. And I'm learning all of it. Yeah, Wu Tang have a ton of it. Um, MF Doom has a ton of it. Um, didn't Nas get sort of pseudo spiritual too? Oh my god, Nas has a fuck ton of it. Nas yeah. is probably like the most famous artist to actually be like super deep into this stuff. Yeah, that's dope. I had no idea. 
Um, so I guess after the big reveal that uh, basically not only are you just a consciousness uploaded into a diving suit, but also that every time you upload your consciousness somewhere else, uh, you may not make it. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the coin toss. The coin, yeah, and the coin toss idea is introduced. Um, after that, it's basically just the game becomes you going deeper into the base and trying to get the space guns. You can launch the arc and maybe potentially escape. And I think at this point, it's not a bad idea to talk about like what you actually do in the game, uh, which we haven't really done, um, at least in terms of like the enemies and what they are. There's really only I think five antagonists in the game I you could tell me or not uh, if they're related to crew members uh, I know one is the yeah. coolest monster is Ross which he was the guy that was against I think he wanted to pull the plug on the AI pretty early and he was against uploading everybody's consciousnesses too right he was kind of the uh, the Amish of the group. He was anti all this shit. Yeah, the Luddite. The Luddite, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's kind of the coolest monster because several times he kind of speaks to you telepathically. Mm-hmm. And he'll pop out and scare the shit out of you. But you never have to like run from him and he can't kill you. Yeah. Yep. And uh <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I'm laughing at your notes because for one of them he said tentacle face. No, no one, one likes, likes you, you motherfucker. motherfucker. <laughs> uh, which is really funny. But that's totally the worst part of the game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Well, I like the enemy design in this game because, yes, sometimes it ties into the plot. There's moments where it's kind of suggested that these used to be crew members. Um, There's one that definitely is. And Mm -hmm. the other thing is that um, one of the big things you do in the game, besides just going around exploring, is collecting audio logs and then collecting notes and emails. And if you're thorough or lucky, you'll get the right ones that tell you how to deal with the enemies. Um, A lot of the enemies are designed so that they have one obvious weakness, like either they're blind or they won't attack you unless you look at them. Um, Right. You know, stuff like that. And uh, I, I like that idea that if you're being thorough and finding the clues, then most of the enemies are still are like relatively easy to deal with. Um, and that they become just like a puzzle element in the game. But it's like I said, mm-hmm. it's it's an integrated puzzle element. You don't have to stop and put blocks into place or something. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of them aren't that bad. Um, there were just a couple interactions where it was very trial and error. And you die 10 times in a row and it's not fun. And it's already proved its point, and it's not scary anymore. So you just kind of trial and error, um, specifically on the part where you have to run back to the uh, escape pod on the Curie shipwreck. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, I think you blow up some reactors or something, and you're running back, and um, the I I think it's the Flesher. It's it just it will just kill you immediately if you don't start running the right direction. Yeah, I think I had to play it like six times. That's actually the exact thing I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, when we were talking about this earlier, uh, that part is terrible, and you mm-hmm. just actually have to know the exact right route, and you have to just keep running and not stop. And unless you do it perfectly, right. you die. Um, yeah, 
I think those are the moments when I started to feel like the story mode would have been better or that the game would have been better without most, if not all of the enemies. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I think it's, it's that same idea. It's when you push a game so far into not needing those elements that they can sometimes feel a little extraneous, but yeah. Well, and we dogged on layers of fear previously for not having any danger in it and right. it just being sort of, you know, walking through a haunted house sort of thing. Right. So, I mean, it it is kind of a, a, a thin line you have to walk between being gamey and just telling a story. Exactly. And I think that for most of the game, it's it's well maintained. And like I said, I like I like this sort of being the game's like puzzle element or uh, this sort of being the game's like danger element, because, you know, some of these enemies are freaky and mm-hmm. like sneaking around beneath them is really, really fucking tense. And it it really adds to the game. Like I liked those parts and I liked being, you know, kept on edge. Um, right. So, but I, I definitely think that there's moments where it's like, well, we didn't need that. We didn't need the fucking reactor part. That was stupid as shit. Right. And I, I do, I, I do feel like the strongest spooky parts are just the general sub mechanophobia. Right. Sort of going through the deep sea, uh, like walking untethered uh, for like long stretches where you can't see very far in front of you. Yeah. Totally. There's a really freaky part where you're kind of it's almost like you're caught in a storm mm-hmm. and it's like super dark uh, and you just have to keep pressing forward and it's really unnerving. Yeah. Even if you're just solving like a simple puzzle underwater, there's there's like a constant sense of foreboding. Right. And it's it's cool because, I mean, the game is beautiful and there's a lot of uh areas of it that are just like super gorgeous and kind of naturalistic mm-hmm. but they keep throwing in these elements like you know there's all this decaying machinery and these things yeah. floating around and the music and all these things and even though you're outside you never see the sun yeah i love how it creates that unease um and in in a lot of ways i think it's more effective because there are times where it does shift into a more visceral horror so that you can sort of appreciate the other parts of the game where it is more languid and slow moving, but because you know, Mm -hmm. there's a tension that exists not only because you're thinking about all this heady fucking bullshit, but also because you're like, well, I'm eventually going to have to, you know, meet the Chinese vampire again. (laughs) Yeah. And we're getting an elevator and it's a video game. So the elevator is going to (laughs) fall. Yeah. Yup. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like how it, it balances all those different elements um, and, and it uses all of them to suggest some of the to pivot back towards like the bigger themes in the game. Um, it uses all those elements, you know, to suggest those themes or to make you like think about those themes. So like the fact that you're stuck in this super barren, like dark world means that when you meet something that can talk and that you can interact with, like there's almost this instant empathy that's created. And then they just keep piling on. That's when you have to kill the thing or you have to torture it or (laughs) do whatever. It's like that you, it really kind of pushes that empathy button, you know, sort of like Silent Hill 2. Oh yeah, totally. I think Silent Hill 2 is really similar to this game in a lot of ways. Just the loneliness that it creates. Yeah. And you got to kill Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to eat pizza alone. And like, 
He accidentally shot a guy in the leg. Like, whatever, dude. It's not a... All he wanted was a Pepsi. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like the physical embodiment of that song. <laughs> um, well, and I, I think, too, another thing that all those things combined uh, create that Silent Hill 2 also does really well is the is using apocalyptic fiction as a, like a simulacra of depression. Um, right. This yeah. is something that I started to think about a lot uh, after thinking about a few different works of art. You know, this game is a huge one. Uh, Silent Hill 2 is another really good one. Um, Melancholia is a really good one. Mm. And Neon Genesis Evangelion, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Probably like the OG of all of these. Like, the thing that all those things I just listed have in common is they put you inside or in the aftermath of or right before like an apocalypse scenario mm-hmm. and they use it almost like a metaphor or just more as a tool I guess to suggest how it feels to be depressed um, yeah. or at least to me that's how I always interpreted those pieces of art because like when you're really fucking depressed it really does feel like everything's over or everything's ending all the right. time. And yeah. I felt like when I took in any of those pieces of art, it made me feel the way that I feel when I'm like super depressed. And it if a game or a work of art does it well, it gives you that feeling. But, you know, if it has a good reason to exist or something to say, it feels really powerful and really meaningful. I'm just thinking of all the uh, similarities between Evangelion and the Soma now. I mean, even the uh, the suits in Evangelion, they're, aren't, aren't they organic biomaterial? Yeah, for sure. Isn't his dead mother in one? Yeah, I think him and Asuka, him and Asuka both have their mom in there. Yeah, and then so in Soma, like Simon's in like a dead woman's body. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it, it raises, you know, raises these questions and it like makes yeah. you think about God, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And then Catherine's like pressuring Simon to like pilot the suit. Yeah, dude. No, Catherine <laughs> well, is totally Gendo. <laughs> and you wow. have that in the note that like uh, Catherine and Johan, who is the, the scientist who becomes the one of the big antagonists. Uh-huh. Um, they both have an ethical ambiguity. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Everyone does in this game. Yeah. They're pushing really hard for an agenda, but there's no clear answer as to who's right or what is like the appropriate outcome for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, we're all just going to become sunny delight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so as the game goes on, some of the, I guess the big bullet points of the late game is, uh, one of your notes here, James, that I love is in all caps, euthanizing the last human ever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the whole point is to save humanity. And you're like a walking robot, human corpse, meat bag, and, you, and you're begged by the last human being on the planet to euthanize them. <laughs> yeah, and you do it. Uh, what a dark scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, you, you can sit on the couch and watch them die. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking brutal. Um, uh, and- a side note for a little bit of levity. 
uh, games where you can pick up any object and just kind of like drop them and throw them around. Yeah. Um, with games like that, I can't help but constantly fidget and play with things. Yeah. So after the last human being died, I put a trash can on top of her head <laughs> and then put a suitcase on top of the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm glad you treated that scene with uh with the weight that it really created. <laughs> I'm imagining like like her breathing her last breath and then the Benny Hill music starting up. <laughs> oh god. Um so, you know, I guess a- after that, uh the next big thing that happens is the end sequence of the game. Um, mm-hmm. which is basically you taking the arc, uh, which I don't know if we said it before, but it, it's essentially just like a computer simulated environment, um, that all the consciousnesses that have been collected from this study at the station are going to be, you right. know, inserted into, and they'll basically live as, you know, AI simulated consciousnesses in like a simulated right. paradise. It's sort of like double arc because it has the, the Noah's Ark connotations with mm-hmm. putting everybody on this thing and sending them off. And then it also looks like the Ark of the Covenant, something like the Ra- Ra- what's the first Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, uh, it sort so. of looks like that as you're walking around with it. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, yeah, the plan is to get this thing in into the space gun, shoot it in the space. And yeah, they keep saying this phrase over and over where they're just like, you know, life among the stars, you know? Yeah. It's almost like the sales pitch for it. And it's one of the unnerving things that Catherine does is that she kind of keeps repeating this sales pitch because mm-hmm. she's the scientist who started the program and created the art. Um, so you kind of get, it's kind of like um, Shaun of the dead. With the Winchester, they're just gonna get to the Winchester and wait for it to all blow over. Oh man, that's that's really good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we're, uh, look, we're just gonna get shot out of the space gun, hang out in space, wait for it to all blow over. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, the like the original, or sorry, the the you know what ends up happening in the end is they take the arc to the space gun. There's sort of a tense countdown. Seems like for a second that it's not going to actually work. Um, And then it does. They upload all the consciousnesses into the arc. Everything's ready to go. And they fire it into space. The upload finishes like right as everything is ending. And your, Uh your player character is like celebrating and like, yeah, we did it. And I was like, Catherine, (laughs) can you believe it? And then she's like, yeah, man, it's so great. And then he just fucking sits there and he's like, okay, I'm ready to go now. And she's like, we did. We're in there, but we lost the coin toss. And that's, I mean, the game has kind of explained this to you already, but even Mm -hmm. Catherine says, she's like, I can't believe I have to explain this to you again. You dumbass. Like it's a coin flip. your consciousness is in there, but your point of view is different from your consciousness. You've been duplicated. So yeah, you lost this one, but you won the other one. So sorry. And then power dies and you're left alone with your thoughts forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's um, the end. I just realized that that was the plot of left behind the movie. 
Oh, man. Sorry, Kirk Cameron. <laughs> what? You're left behind. Yeah. I Fuck. guess. I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess everyone in the ark got raptured. Yeah, mm. it's a, totally the rapture. They went to paradise and then you're left behind on earth. Right. And so there is a, a post credits thing that shows your consciousness mm-hmm. like in this paradise world with Catherine. Uh, and so it, it's interesting because as you put in the notes here, uh, both the good and the bad ending happens simultaneously. The game has one ending, but it's like multivalent. Like there's two sides of it and it shows you both sides of it. Um, well, I mean, there's four Simons essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. One died in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, one you euthanized because you're Simon three mm-hmm. and Simon three dies at the bottom of the ocean. And then Simon four lives on the ark. Right. Well, and it's it's such a great ending and it's such a great moment when you realize that you're not on the arc or that like <laughs> your point of view and that this guy is just stuck uh, in this diving suit full of rotting meat at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Well, I think I just I, I at that point, I, I had thought that I had just gotten like the bad ending or something. Yeah. But it goes ahead and gives you both. Yeah. And. I love it because it's once again with the philosophy that this game has been espousing and talking about it that you know is totally what would happen where it's like mm-hmm. you know what you're trying to search for this meaning against the absurd you're trying to figure out why you exist and you're trying to figure out how to you know continue and keep going and and finish this tale of survival but it's like you already died right (laughs) the solution that you came up with and that you're fighting for is incredibly absurd why would you even consent to this why would you fight for this like it's so stupid and Mm -hmm. because you're just like this like audacious human you're just like well i'm just gonna keep doing it and yeah man you lose like super hard well at least we know that one of the four protagonists goes to heaven (laughs) right but i I love even that idea where it's like you the player get to decide how you feel like was the whole thing a lark because you died in 2015 was the whole thing a success because one of you ended up in the arc it does none of it matter should you have even tried or should you have not trusted Catherine? is Catherine actually the antagonist of the game like it's such a well-written story because all the answers come from you. There's no answer to any of those questions. That's like canon, you know? Well, I mean like everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. You know what I mean? Like you can be an atheist and still want to go to heaven when you die because, (laughs) because you don't want life to just end. So, I mean, is an artificial heaven worse than no heaven? Right. And, and then it's also like, I mean, once again, it sort of gets into some ethical stuff where it's like, well, what did you actually create? And what's the maintenance on that arc up there? (laughs) Like, what happens if it just gets hit by a comet? And like, did you send all those people to their doom? Like, should you have left them dead? You know, right. There's a little bit of an absolution to that because like the wow came and started this whole process of shoving things into other things that you're just are sort of continuing on with. But 
ultimately right. that didn't have to happen, you know? Um, I mean, you, I feel like you'd want to keep this kind of stuff in triplicate too. I mean, shoot several out of the space gun. <laughs> right. But like, it's also like everything's collapsing around you while this is happening. It's kind of this desperate struggle <laughs> to try and get this out there because everything's falling apart. Um, but I also, I love that the game shows you both sides of it where like the people who are, you know, in the arc and the people who are stuck on earth, because it really makes you think about what is the, the end game of the earth that's left, which is like literally just an ocean full of these crazed half human machines, <laughs> which is just the well, most terrifying thing. It's, it's assumed that you, you kill the wow. So the AI is not going to keep spreading. Right. And th- I feel like a lot of people link the end of the world to the end of mankind. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of sea life in the game. And I think right. that's indicative that I think that's kind of like showing to the player that like, even though mankind's done, the planet's not, but the, I feel like the big question here is that is authentic humanity more important than the arc humanity since the arc humanity is just cop cheap copies. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, it's a real fucking thinker. Yeah, and I mean, science fiction writers have been talking about it a long time, uh, like post-humanism and transhumanism. Mm-hmm. Like, where do we where do we draw the line there? Yeah, this is definitely transhumanism, the game. And yeah. I think, I mean, specifically to keep talking about Philip K. Dick, because uh, it is, I think he is the most relevant author to this game. Like, a lot of his stories ask that same question or try and find an answer to that same question, just with, with much less extreme means like soma is a very extreme story like holy hell you know uh it's it's like if philip k dick is thrash metal this is like extreme like porno death metal (laughs) (laughs) like it's so brutal but uh, the thing too with philip k dick he asked these same questions a lot you know just even with questions of reality like in scanner darkly which is probably one of his more like earthbound novels yeah you know It's you sort of he gets into this identity spiral of like who am I, what am I doing, who am I even like surveilling, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on, you know, or you yeah you get these questions with like uh, do androids room of electric sheep where it's like if what I want is this experience whether that's like experiencing the joy box or having a real pet um, yeah do, or like if I accept uh, a recreation am I accepting less. Um, mm-hmm. And video games are really an amazing medium to ask that question because the whole idea of a video game is to have a simulated experience and to have it be as meaningful and important as a real experience. Like, right. That's the end game of game. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about joy boxes here. <laughs> yeah, these are <laughs> the literal joy boxes, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting that a game that goes all the way down into those issues at least for me it made me not play video games for a while and it made me just fucking think about shit (laughs) yeah this one's definitely a thinker i mean just like a great movie you think about it afterwards it's one of those games where it makes you want to write a small essay about it (laughs) yeah exactly like uh i actually watched the lobster last night Mm, Uh, yeah and that's like totally the same kind of vibe but I think with Soma, the, the reason I, it, I was drawn to it so much is not only because, I mean, based on everything we're talking about, it's just shit I love. Philip K. Dick, you know, uh, mm-hmm. existentialism, 
kind of janky, broken down sci-fi worlds. Like this is all shit that I love, but I also spooky love video games. Spooky video games. Uh, I also love that it just decided to tackle the basic question of what does it mean to be human, and then tackle it in a super weird, grotesque, like Cronenbergian way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it. it it scratched the itch of everything that I like about heady sci-fi mm-hmm. while wrapping it in a fun adventure game. Now, yeah. it's not my favorite game of all time. It might be your favorite game, but... It's not my... It's it's up there for me, I would say. It's up there. I mean, in, in terms of theme, I could think of a few games that make me think about it so much afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... I mean, it's really notable. For this medium. I think that's hugely notable. And the other thing too is, well, and maybe to kind of bring this back to what we were talking about at the beginning of it, which was anti-games, um, like my whole concept of that. Like, I think the reason that this game, what seemed important to me was that when you look at a conventional game, it as a storytelling medium, it has a ton of issues. I mean, it has so many issues that it's created a, a long term for it. Ludo narrative dissonance that like, explains why it's weird that you can murder a thousand dudes and then cry over the death of like a random person. You know what I mean? Like your in-game character, like it has weaknesses as a storytelling medium. Um, and I think that people who make horror games, a lot of times they're moving so far away from the core of the medium anyway, which in my mind is like traditional arcade type games. Mm -hmm. You're moving so far away from it that you're coming up with, solutions for how to just get further and further out and at the same time some of those are actually creating solutions for how to deal with the problems that traditional games create so i think in soma there's this interesting thing happening where it's like how do you create a game where you tell a story and then all the actions in it also feed into the story and you never do anything that's out of character you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and everything feeds into the main theme so like every action you do feeds into the main theme of the game and I think that this game does that so well that it starts to feel like something totally different, whether that's not a game or some sort of highly evolved version of a game. Um, and I think that's so fascinating. It's it's not that nobody's ever done that, but in this medium, it's the to me the purest expression of it. Yeah, I mean, would you put this in the realm of like auteur gaming, like something from Grasshopper Manufacturer? I guess, but it's way better just because like it it takes it doesn't use any easy cop outs or like you know take any easy paths like i think with grasshopper it's almost like they embrace the absurdity to an extent that can be sometimes frustrating where it's mm. just like especially i mean i think once you get into the more modern stuff they there are the more recent stuff they've done yeah where it's, it's just, almost like dada it it is and at moments it it feels so forced like I think yeah. the first time I started to think that maybe like uh, Goichi Suda was full of shit is like the end of No More Heroes, <laughs> um, where he like fast forwards through that person's monologue and then he's like, "See, you didn't even care because you're just like a dumb Cheeto dust covered fucking idiot gamer." And I mean, he's not wrong, but he's also not right. <laughs> like, and it's also not clever to make that observation right. or, or sure. break the fourth. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, if yeah. you're going to indict people for being stupid, you have to indict everyone and yourself. Cause it's like, <laughs> everything is stupid. And right. I think like, you're um, not Lars von Trier. <laughs> yeah. 
it's like moments like that that are sort of like ah, oh, that's so frustrating but a game like this it's like yeah everything is absurd and everything is terrible here's like a complete tightly wound experience explaining why <laughs> that is the case yeah i mean it's funny because like as much as i love this game i've actually told certain people i know not to play it or i've warned people like only play it if you're in the mood for this man you know because hmm. it's like yeah i would say i mean Play it on play it on story mode. Enjoy it for the story. Um, there's just too many frustrating bits with the with the hiding. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I say that as a as a video game veteran, and uh, <laughs> it I've I've played like I mean a billion adventure games. Yeah. And um, some are better without combat, and I think this one's better without combat. Yeah, I could see that. I I need to do a playthrough with the story mode. Yeah. I mean, the spooks are good, and but I, you know, the submechanophobia gives you the spooks, and the I don't know, a lot of things give you the spooks without having to uh, hide behind desks. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing. It's like ultimately the real horror of this game is in the philosophy of it and in the story yeah. of it. It's the spooky parts are just fun if you like that stuff. But yeah, I mean, if you're a walking simulator fan and you don't want to deal with hide 'em up stuff, just play it as a walking simulator. You'll be happy. Oh, I agree. And I think I do kind of look at that as one of the game's strengths, at least at this point in time. Now that's been patched and all that, that's like you can enjoy it how you want to enjoy it. You can enjoy it in either way. I think that's a super cool element. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fucking great. I don't know. It's just like if you if you're in the mood for something really heavy that makes you think and it, it's just like something you're really going to chew on. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of other games that would make you think this much very few yeah i mean and especially ones that don't come with a ton of baggage like either some of the stuff that it's saying is really dumb or that like some of the mechanics of playing it aren't fun and don't feed into it you know Mm -hmm. like man i have such mixed feelings about metal gear solid 2 and (laughs) a lot of it is just like there's these certain sequences that are crazy and amazing and then there's like everything else in the game yeah i keep thinking of shadow the colossus in terms of the moral ambiguity yeah and uh emotional weight of killing yeah shadow the colossus is probably one of the few games i think that is kind of on this level where everything in the design points you towards the themes of the story well there's not much else to it yeah it's it's aesthetic and theme the plot is barely there yeah exactly but I, I love shit like that. I love that type of game design. Um, yeah. There's a there's a game there's a game called Rime R I M E. Did you play that game? Yeah, great game. I fucking loved it. It's one of those no dialogue games. Yeah, and it was funny because a lot of the people were just like dunking on it for like, oh, do you want to play Shadow of the Colossus? <laughs> it's basically just that, <laughs> but. I loved that game because, and I thought it was actually really different. It was like a totally different genre of game. It had a totally different way that you interacted with the world. Yeah, it was more eco than Colossus. Yeah, and even at that, once you actually unraveled the story and got what it was trying to say, it it's just mm-hmm. so good. And it one of those games where you just want to turn around and do another playthrough because it's like, man, that's fucking cool. Yeah, you know? and it's got that kind of like sun bleached, cell shaded look. Yeah. Like Wind Waker or something really yeah. charming. And it's got a great like kind of orchestral soundtrack, which I'm not usually a huge fan of. 
um in, in games as much as everyone else it seems but uh yeah yeah no it's it's really great and it's once again it's it's one of those experiences where it's so pared down and minimal and everything points you back into the theme of the story so it's it's not necessarily that i like games that are more linear games that don't give you as many options with what to do i like games where everything is designed to support an idea right well pushing that even farther did you play abzu uh no i've been meaning to for years i need to fucking do yeah 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 same same deal it's even more linear yeah and maybe even more pared down story just atmospheric storytelling yeah, it's pretty great. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm seeing more and more the discussion of why haven't video games moved more in that direction or like why haven't video games made more moves to reconcile the that that sort of Ludo narrative dissonance and because fucking Battle Royale, bro. <laughs> well, Battle Royale, I think it is kind of a genius because it's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's like, do you want just nothing but this? You know, and I'm sort of looking at the total opposite of that, which are games like this. And it's like, I want that. And I'm glad that we're seeing a little bit more of it. But it does. Once again, it feels like it's an evolution that has to happen at some point. Yeah, Yeah. I guess I guess even Battle Royale is reductive in a way. Right. It does the one thing. And that's what it does. It was like playing Counter-Strike back in the day. Like there was no Ludo narrative dissonance because there's no fucking narrative. It's terrorists win or counter terrorists win. All right. Yep. Well, see, like someone's just such a bummer that eventually you have to talk about something totally different just to like <laughs> lighten the mood. But yep. that was my one warning to my friends who were interested in it. I was like, make sure you're not like really feeling bad or doing bad. Suicidal. Yeah. I mean, I'm a hundred percent serious. Or like, I was like, man, if I had been doing bad, even worse when I played that game, I may just have been like, mm, whatever, dude. Yeah. Serious shit. So, Heaven's yeah. Gate, dude. <laughs> but why the Reeboks? <laughs> I do love white Reeboks. Um, <laughs> I've been known to rock white Reeboks when the occasion requires. Little Heaven's Gate logos on the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we should be careful because apparently the one guy who's left on Earth from Heaven's Gate will sue you on their behalf. Oh, really? Did you hear about that? No, well, I'm ready to go, man. My space gun is loaded. <laughs> no, Lil Uzi Vert wanted to put out an album that had the Heaven's Gate <laughs> logo on the front, and they uh, that guy sent him an email. I was like, yeah, they left one oh, guy on Earth. It's me, and yes, I will sue you. Wow, that's crazy. He runs the email account, so if you email him, he'll answer your questions about like what they believe and stuff. I mean, like, why wait on Earth when you can build a space gun and meet the aliens in space? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if this was a service, I'd be into it. Yeah, space is a service, sass. Yeah, dude, like fucking upload my consciousness into my metal zone and just fire me into space. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, that shit needs to be kept in triplicate, man. Like raid zero, raid ten. <laughs> I think uh, I need to go start a math rock band so I can use that as a song title now. <laughs> so I think I have to go. Upload your consciousness to a, a RC four twenty looper. Yeah, it needs to be a looper, right? Uh, With one of the SD card slots? Yeah. Like a Digitech time machine? Yeah, I don't have one of those. I have one with a USB <laughs> a USB port, though. So. Um, yeah. 
Is that enough? You, you have to think about backwards compatibility. I mean, in a few thousand years, will they have the USB cable? <laughs> yeah, man. USB-C probably isn't going to hang around that long. Or will it? You know, I don't know. <laughs> You're going to have to save your data to a crystal skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, if I was, as long as I can go get one from Micro Center. Dude, I can't wait till uh, Crystal Skull form factor is standardized across all mediums. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I've heard that uh, that it's like actually kind of slow to upload your consciousness into one, so I don't know if I have that kind of time. So bulky too. I'm just thinking about like having like a man purse full of crystal skulls. Yeah, I was gonna say that, you know, imagining that it's the year 3000 and my messenger bag is enormous and full of crystal skulls. No thanks. <laughs> uh, get with the times, Anunnaki. I was promised a lot more out of my terrible future and uh, I'm gonna hold them to that. <laughs> I was told that my dystopian future would be crystal skull free. <laughs> We're going to be cloud computing our consciousnesses by then, so yeah, thanks, but no thanks. The Anunnaki invented cloud computing. <laughs> yeah. Look it up, dude. The Anunnaki also invented space guns. They just have everything good. They invented space, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> Shit's wild, dude. Ancient Aliens Season 7 is really where it hit its stride. <laughs> oh god, don't say Ancient Aliens to me. <laughs> I miss Ancient Aliens. Those first two seasons were fire. Yeah. But then it was like aliens and cowboys and shit. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think the first Ancient Aliens EP was the best one. Oh yeah, for sure. They burned out bright yeah. early. By the time yeah. that first LP came out on Nuclear Blast, it just wasn't good anymore. <laughs> Rip Sucalos. 